Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host, but you've got to be kidding me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, is Fred Moreland, who has just granted his ninth season of college football eligibility. How are you? I'm doing well. This is one of my all-time favorite headlines. I just cackled when I read this this morning on ESPN right before we started. But uh, yeah, Miami tied in. Cam McCormick granted ninth year of eligibility. That is... listen. If you can Fantastic. get your second doctorate while playing college football, you do it. And Buddy, he would have graduated med school if he had wanted to. He'd already be, this, after this, he would be a year done with residency. It is wild. He's had so many injuries, I guess. And uh, like with the COVID year and everything else, um, it, and he redshirted a year. Uh, it's wild. It's This is a fantastic uh I don't know. It possibly so good. He is 25 years old. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Wait, 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 wait. He's only 25. He's not 26 oh. or 27. No, Holy he's only 25 shit. right now. I know. Right. But I guess he will turn 26 at some point in the coming season. Uh, but yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, let's talk about what this podcast is really about, which is other college football news. Um, Bill Bryan. Joining uh, Ryan Day's Ohio State staff as OC. Um, thoughts? God, it's so fucking funny. Um, I don't even think Bill O'Brien's a bad coach or necessarily a bad hire. It's just completely uninspiring. Yeah. And they, I think he'll do okay. He did all right uh, at running Saban's offense. But I found this stat interesting. Will Brinson of CBS Sports, who's an NFL writer, uh, said Bill O'Brien has been a part of Bill Belichick and Nick Saban's staff for a total of eight seasons. And he doesn't have a single Super Bowl or national championship. <laughs> yeah. just That's just hilarious. But Ohio State needed a jolt. But you know what I think they really needed? Somebody who's young and innovative. And that is not what no, Ryan is in the no. slightest. They're going to fire Ryan Day, aren't they? <laughs> like soon. Yeah. Like in the next year or two, probably. Just, if he'll go like 11 and 2. Lose to Michigan both years. <laughs> They'll just be like, bye. We hate you. The, we the hate you that, so much. That most people don't understand about college football is if you lose to your hated rival, that's oh, like hurts. six losses. Yeah, like, it's that's, rough. Like, you can't lose. Like We made fun of the Hugh Freeze hire uh, that Auburn made. But why did they make the hire, which was morally questionable? 
or like because Hugh Freeze just beats Nick Saban. Ah, uh, boy. Um, yeah, and so now they they got their Saban killer and no Saban. Well, they they just killed Saban. So yeah, I mean, they, no, they did. They they definitely did not. He killed he killed Auburn in the most Auburn way possible. That's actually kind of true. Um, like, that was all but the kick more. six for, in reverse. Um, oh, God. The kick six is still one of the best moments of college football history. I watched that just, live in a, in a Chewy's restaurant, and uh, they just happened to sit us on the half of the, re- of the restaurant with TVs, and I just freaked out loudly in a place that was not like a sports bar. Not because I have any Auburn or Alabama affiliation, though I am wearing a Alabama T-shirt because I like the, the retro Big Al. Is, is very go. good. Uh, home field apparel sponsor us, uh, but yeah, um, like I just freaked out because that was the wildest play I had ever seen in football in a positive way. I don't know if it's as wild as when, um, uh, hell, you're gonna hate me for this, but the Vikings wide receiver converted to quarterback who, like, in the playoffs just had the worst game ever, and at Joe some Webb. point, Joe Webb threw the a ball like directly straight up in the air. And I just remember, like, my wife being so put off by my reaction to that that, she, that I was chastised. Yeah. Um, it, what's funny is the first kick six I ever saw was against the Vikings. Hey! Cromartie took it 109 yards. But nice. nobody oh, really talks about that in Vikings history. You know why? Why is that? Adrian Peterson ran for 296 yards that day. Yeah. You'll take that. NFL record. If you got to have that trade-off. Um Man, I was I was really that was about the beginning of the end to be like particularly caring about the NFL. It's that Joe Webb game. I think at that point I just had like a breakthrough. It was like I can't be this invested in shit like this. I yeah. just can't. Joe Webb had made his professional boxing debut at UAB Bartow Arena on Saturday, August fifth, twenty twenty three, which resulted in a majority draw. Wow. Yeah. Learn something new today. He's Rick not the first Peter. former Viking to go into professional boxing. While he was a member of the Vikings, defensive end Ray Edwards got into boxing. Yeah, I think he was actually pretty good. Um, I mean, not good enough to win a title or anything. Well, sure, good. Uh, but yeah, like I listened to the shutdown podcast yesterday, and they just like joke for fifteen minutes about how Ohio State has this coach who, on paper, is extremely. It's successful, you know. Like if you just said to someone in a vacuum, "Hey, your your coach will get you to the, like the top ten pretty much every year. You'll you'll win double digit games every year, and you will go to a major bowl if not the playoff every year." And uh, he's just going to get fired because they don't like him. Basically, it's like a little almost a Rich Rodriguez at uh, Michigan, but more successful than Rich Rod was. Oh, Rich Rod! Oh, Rich Rod! It's actually funny about Rich Rod because he's actually doing really well at Jacksonville State now. Yeah. That that kind of, you know, I think that's like the kind of coach he is, the kind that like at a second tier or even third tier, because I mean, no offense to Jacksonville State, but I think it'd be kind to label them a second tier D1 program. Uh, he will do well, and then he gets up to like a big school and then just like is too big of an asshole and is not that successful. Yeah, Uh I think he's perfect to Jacksonville State that that level because yeah. it, it makes that level better and more fun. Yeah, but he, he honestly he shouldn't have left West Virginia. 
like going to Michigan at that point in time was just a bad decision. It's hard yeah. to fault him for it, but he shouldn't have done it. Yeah, Odie, I know Okada's gone. We're going to talk about it here in a second. Yeah. Let's talk about wrestling. Kazuchika Okada has informed New Japan Pro Wrestling that he is leaving the company. And let's kind of start with some of the basics before we get to the reaction. Um, Kazuchika Okada, on Thursday the 18th in Japan, uh, gave his notice that he was leaving the company after his contract expired on the 31st of January. Um, As of right now, he will be working the major new beginning dates um, in both uh, Sapporo and Osaka. Um, But this is a decision that uh, felt inevitable, but also came out of left field. Um, Fred, you spoke to to an economist kind of about the economy. And I, I saw somebody speculate that what he's making right now is similar to what he was making his rookie year in Japan, just due to how poor the economy is over there right now. Yeah. I I don't know that I believe that, um, that, that seems a bit, um, out of pocket, you know, just because I assume he is, his contract is for many more yen than that rookie contract was. And he probably was going to get offered even more, um, to go back to Japan. But uh, yeah, one of my friends is a economist uh, and a professor at a pretty big college. Uh, and so I asked him just about like the basics of Japan's economy, and this is what he gave me. So uh, basically, he, uh, so Japan's been very stagnant with mild um, uh, economic growth uh, since nineteen. Basically, they had a huge uh, stock market market crash in nineteen eighty nine, and they're still kind of like defined by that economically. Uh, so they're just kind of mediocre from a economic growth perspective. Um, uh, the primary reason for the drastic strengthening of the dollar versus the yen, which for wrestling fans is basically why New Japan World is, you know, so cheap with the conversion rate. Uh, basically, the U.S. Uh, our federal bank went off zero uh, percent interest rates a couple years ago. Um, now Japan has not had as much inflation as we did in the U.S. Uh, during COVID, uh, and so Japan has been slow about adjusting their. Uh, their interest rates so you know the way my friend put it was um when you have a currency that you can invest in short-term government securities with about a five percent return which is what the dollar is and while in japan you get basically nothing back in return uh that tends to shift demands for currency so that's why the dollar is strong versus the yen right now uh so you know, add on like New Japan's reliance upon the live gate as their primary driver of financial revenue versus uh, AEW and WWE. Uh, they're primarily getting money from TV, uh, you know, and, and you know, really, the, especially WWE, their business is uh, not so much selling to fans as it is selling to third parties, you know, whether that be uh, television stations or uh Saudi Arabia or uh, anyone else willing to give them money, like basically doing paid shows on a seven or eight figure level. Um, You know, when these, you know, cities are offering them these uh, budgetary breaks, you know, these incentives to come run a show there, uh, that really changes the status of the game. And AEW and uh, WWE just have so much more money to splash around than New Japan or anyone else in the world. So, um, yeah, I think financially it's not a surprise. The only real surprise is that basically it's the biggest star in Japan making this jump. 
which is unprecedented, you know, like not when Shinsuke Nakamura made the jump to WWE, you know, he was like the third guy in New Japan and like a big star, obviously over there, but still the third guy. Um, and uh, behind Okada and Tanahashi. And he also was late stage career. He had a few more years, I think, on where uh, the Rainmaker is right now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, no, let me double check, check myself there. Um but yeah, I think uh, Nakamura was probably in worst. Uh... Actually, no, they're about the same age. Interestingly enough, um, they're about you know. Uh, I I do think uh, Nakamura was probably worse off physically than Okada, just as a casual observer. Um, but you know, it's just going to be very interesting at this point which route um, is taken. You know, you've got um, AEW and WWE, and WWE would probably put less stress on Mokata's body, you know, and I don't know that they necessarily would offer more money, but in a sense, just in terms of how much revenue they have, they'd be able to offer more money than AEW. Now, if Tony Khan wants to reach into his own pockets or his dad's pockets and uh, splash some more cash, that is, uh, you know, especially with the anticipated increase in rights fees that they're banking on, um, I think that's a big deal. Um, so I don't know. It'll be very interesting to watch. Obviously, he's close friends with the Young Bucks, who are in AEW. Um, so that is a point in their favor. Uh, on the other hand, you know, WWE has been trying to be like, hey, look at how we treat our Japanese stars like Shinsuke Nakamura, who we definitely have always pushed as a big star. <laughs> Please don't um, fact check this. Uh, but they've been pushing him, you know, strongly over the past year or so. And, um, they also uh, have been keeping the likes of Asuka and Kyrie Sane uh, at high levels when they've been around. So I don't know. It's a it's a fascinating situation, um, and you know, honestly, if AEW gets it, I mean, that'll be big for them. But I also think that um, we're in a situation where this could be. I mean, this is bad. I think for wrestling on a global level. Um, the consolidation of top-level talent uh, in just one or two promotions where they frankly can't even really use them all well um, means that the smaller promotions, uh, whether it be in the New Japan level, which is still damn big, or on down, um, it's just weakening their uh, the, the ability of those promotions to put on great shows and great matches and stuff that will entertain me. So in that sense, I, uh, you know, I kind of hate this. This is a very interesting one, and I, I'm going to start here. As Odie is uh, crying in the background because he he really misses Okada already. Um, I'll say this much. Okada... It, leaving new Japan just tells me he wants to put on Nick Jackson's gear more often. <laughs> um, the, my lean is AEW. I really, I really think it, his, his love for the young bucks and uh, what, and the amount of matches that he could have high end matches while also not working nearly as much. Like he doesn't have to do a G one again. Um, he, he can still have high-end matches every so often to fill, like, the artistic void, but also have an easier schedule. Um, WWE is still possible. I, I fully concede that. But 
it, it's it's going to be fascinating to see where he ends up and how he's utilized on American television because that his style doesn't necessarily suit American TV that well as far as how American TV wrestling television is structured. But I'm sure he'll be just fine. He, he's he's Kazuchika Okada. But I think what's more fascinating is what changes in New Japan. I think this is great for wrestling in the sense that you get new people elevated. You get to see new stars born. You get to see how this company deals with that adversity considering they've already dealt with it to a point. They dealt with it in 2016 when Nakamura, Styles, and uh, the Good Brothers all left. I think seeing who will come out of this in a much better spot and who will elevate themselves, I think is going to be a fascinating watch. I think Okada in WWE just, just feels like boring. Mm -hmm. I really just don't care. I think like if he's just shows up at WrestleMania and you hear the coin drop, like, okay, that's kind of cool. Awesome. Then after that, it's like, I don't care. At least in WWE, you'd, you'd hear the coin drop. And then, okay, maybe we'll get Omega Okada 5. Maybe we'll get Samoa Joe versus Okada. Hangman Page one-on-one with Okada. Like, there's, like, matches to look forward to if he comes to AEW. You really don't have that in the same way with WWE. What, is Okada going to be, like, the 400th person to lose to Roman Reigns? Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I, I hey, don't he could think... he could beat Seth Rollins for the fake title. Oh boy, <laughs> um, I I don't necessarily think that AEW needs Okada, but if you have the opportunity to get the greatest, arguably the greatest wrestler of all time, you don't say no. What right. I do think would be really cool is uh, he shows up at Nostalgia Gate for Dragon Gate in March. That, that would, would be, be wild. Awesome. That would be wild. Um, it, it, he did put a, Ultimo Dragon did put on his Instagram that um, Okada met with him to tell him he was leaving New Japan, and apparently Okada does that every time he makes like a major decision or something. So yeah. there is still ties there, and Ultimo being back within the Dragon Gate fold after all the weird stuff with Toriyama, it's not impossible. Yeah, and you know, uh, in terms of booking, uh, I think a huge aspect of this is that, um, you know, as far as New Japan goes, um, I don't think you really get that much juice out of um, having like rushing him jobbing to, uh, you know, whoever you choose from the Reiwa three, whether it be, uh, you know, that generation, uh, just to widen it, uh, whether it be Suji or Umino or. Uh, you know, um, Yuyo Uemura or Ren Narita, any of these guys, I don't think, you know, just because you, you rush a one-off loss is not as big of a deal as if you spend months, you know, doing a program about who is the face of New Japan, you know, if you build it to really establish a guy. So I do think that hurts New Japan long-term, is that they aren't going to be able to really uh, use Okada to help establish this next generation. It kind of sounds like they're not doing that at all, though. Um, from my understanding, it's going to be Okada Tanahashi one more time. Yeah, and which is, I think, the, the right way to go. Frankly, just from a creative direction. Yeah, um, they're going to drop the six man belts, and I think if you're going to drop the six man belts, you have Fuji to pin, pin Okada. 
Yeah. That's that's one way to help elevate. I I am with you. I, I don't think forcing a win with Umino or Suji, Narita, uh, or Yomura makes any difference. There's not really a build. I, Shota already had a match with Okada. Um, did they do a singles? I think they did. Um, uh, if, they, if they didn't, they did. They did tags, and Okada basically just beat him up like a young, young boy. Um, it, that was obviously setting something up down the line, but like you have to build those kind of stories. It's the, this is how Puro works, and yeah. sometimes you don't get to finish them, I and that really stinks. But I, I, I think it's kind of cool that you're going to get to see Okada Tanahashi one more time. Tanahashi's probably going to pin oh, yeah. convincingly. And then Tanahashi's going to start putting over the younger generation like he's already been doing. Yeah, so, the problem is Tanahashi is, uh, is struggling. Yeah. Just let him wrestle Zack Sabre Jr. every night. That oh, works. Yeah, that's, that helps. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very funny that people are trying to tie this to anything economically with Bushi Road is that... Um, Bushi Road does not make their money off of uh, New Japan. Really, it's talking. To, they 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 do trading cards. You know that's the that's the source of the the dollars. So um, yeah, uh, it's a shame. Um, I you know in a way, I, I obviously would favor him going to AEW because I think we just get a lot more uh, quality stuff from that relationship from that situation. Than uh, if we had him go to WWE, uh, I think both do present intriguing matches. Um, I think WWE's kind of insistence on like the one house style um, would not be in Okada's favor because he's not going to be able to do. I mean, he obviously can speak English some, but I don't think he's going to be uh, a guy that you can put out there for the traditional twenty minute open raw. Uh, promo uh, and have it be on a high level um at the same time you know AEW is so much about like come up with your own creative um that um i don't know that'll be interesting too so i don't know he, he obviously wherever he goes he will be treated like a giant star he will be received as a giant star um it's not like WWE fans will um not know who Okada is, they will. Uh, and he'll be treated as a big deal regardless of where he goes. So, I, I do hate this for New Japan, but it does set up a very interesting situation for New Japan about, um, you know, establishing the next generation and booking moving yeah. forward. I, I think it's bad and also very good for New Japan. You never want yeah. to lose a big time star, but it forces you to do things as a booker when you do lose that big time star that could help propel the company for the next 10 years. So I think that's really intriguing. I, I do want to say, I think the biggest reason, like if, if this ended up boiling down to Okada just wanted the most money, I think the biggest reason why he would come to America is because of the television deals. Yeah, um, it's, definitely. Like in Japan, my understanding is that it's still a very live attendance-based business, which I get. Um, yes. The way television is structured in Japan from an outside perspective and not knowing everything about it, it feels a much, much, much different landscape than it is in America. Um, America, you have hundreds of cable channels, you have the network television, and 
sports properties are going for just insane amounts of money. Yeah. Um, the Women's Soccer League just got $60 million a year. Um, NXT just got, what, a $60 lot. million a year <laughs> from C- the CW? Like, sports yeah. properties are just going for nuts amounts uh, right now, and that gives these uh, properties that they're – that are getting the money, the ability to spend big time money on free agents. So, but it also could just be Okada was just done in new Japan and he just wanted to go to America. Like we just don't know. There's too many variables here at this point and we're just going to have to see how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, um, it's just a very interesting situation. Uh, and I think more than, uh, you know, I mean, it, I, this is a huge free agency period and honestly might be one of the biggest in wrestling history because in the next few weeks we're going to find out where Okada goes we're going to find out where Mercedes Monet goes and we're going to find out where uh, Julia goes uh, and those three are just absolute massive top of the level stars um, and uh, it's very exciting I think yeah it, it is really exciting but let's talk about some other news Black Taurus Signing with AWROH will have to change his name because of copyright issues with the AAA. Sounds like they were okay with AEW using the... So, Taurus is owned by the wrestler. Specifically, Black Taurus is owned by AAA. And it sounds like they were okay with them using Black Taurus during uh, the period where it was they were letting him work AEW and ROH. But now that he's signing... Sounds like they're not. Yeah. So he'll probably, he'll have to change his look. He'll probably have to get a new mask and all this stuff. And uh, he just won't be recognizable, um, at least as easily. Uh, obviously, the whole being shaped like a, like a refrigerator box uh, won't change. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great pickup. I think he will do well regardless of if he's slotted in uh, Ring of Honor as a top guy or AEW is kind of in the middle. Uh, which I feel like are the natural landing spots for him. Uh, I think it's a good deal for him. Triple uh, A is just an absolute shit show these days creatively, and it's a real damn shame. Um, but he, um, I love Taurus. Uh, I think that if he had just had more opportunities this past year, he would have been like one of my top, you know, wrestlers of the year, like, you know, top 30 or 40. Um He's just, I think he's just the best base out there. I'll respect to Gringo Loco. He's very good, but I think Taurus is better. And I think he's capable of, you know, working a lot of interesting matches. I have a take on Taurus. Yeah. Um, Taurus is discount Tomohiro Ishii. Mm. Where he's, I don't think he's ever going to deliver those super high-end matches. But every time you're going to get him, you're going to get this really high baseline of work. And if you put him with the right guys, he's going to deliver something really, really good. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's more of a con- uh, construct comparison than like a, a true one-to-one. But sure, I, I kind of get those vibes, especially if you're talking just in the Lucha world. He kind of feels like the Ishii of the Lucha world from an outside perspective. I, I'm not a Lucha expert, but that's just kind of – those are the vibes I get. Sure, that's fair. Uh, he is 36, so, uh, you know, he's not like a baby, but he's also not, you know, like Ishii, where you're, where he's uh, way up there, you know, relatively speaking, uh, in terms of just being a professional athlete, I guess I should say. 
but he, he is 12 years younger than Ishii. By the way, uh, congratulations to CMLL for, I think, getting their first five-star match from Dave Meltzer ever, which is shocking, frankly. But he went five on uh, Mascara Dorada versus Templario back on January 5th. Oh, hell yeah. I have yet to watch that uh, again. Uh, just been sick and busy, but um, yeah. Um, I, I'm looking forward to checking that out. I'm, I'm going to have to check that out too. Let's uh, keep moving on. Odie, you okay? Yeah, good boy. Um, CJ Perry says her RSA infection is headed in the right direction. Um, if you've been following along her uh, right middle finger, or is it her left middle finger? One of them it has a brutal infection in it. She's already had surgery, wants to relieve pressure and clean it out. Hopefully, they're able to fix it so she can have use of her finger moving forward and not have it amputated because if it <laughs> goes was... in the wrong direction, that is a very real possibility. Yeah, it's not impossible. Um, yeah, just a terrible, scary situation, frankly. Um, I, um, you know, obviously we continue to wish her the best. We hope she makes a full recovery and everything. Um, it is looking better. Um, but yeah, this is an update from last uh, um, Monday, I think it was. But yeah, she uh, she looks healthy and looks like she's doing all right. And, uh, you know, um, hopefully that continues. Yes, Uh Good health to everybody. Um, speaking of health, uh, the wrestling business as a whole, with when it comes to talent, is relatively healthy, and that is evident in the latest FSM Top Fifty. What a uh, transition! Nailed if it. You, yeah, I, I'm good at those once in a while. Um, if you've never heard of FSM, uh, it was the old Fighting Spirit magazine, and the tradition of naming the Top Fifty with a panel has continued on with Voices of Wrestling, and that it is spearheaded by Alan Forel of the Pro Wrestling Torch uh, and the Pro Wrestling Paradise podcast. Fred, you've uh, taken a look at the top 50 in depth, and I'm coming in blind, which which makes it all the fun for content. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, uh, I was uh, given the honor of being invited to vote on it this year, uh, joining the panel of, I think, hey! 10, 10 now. Yeah, and I, I even did... Yeah, even uh, 11, actually. Uh, but cheap plug uh, for Alan Farrell. Uh, I was a guest on his uh, podcast on Pro Wrestling Torch uh, in the v- VIP section. I think that actually is up now where we talked about the uh, top 50. And, um, yeah, I thought the uh, voting was really interesting. I th- you know, thought it was a really uh, interesting thing to go through. Uh, I watched, you know, and once I found out that I would be on the panel this year, I really tried to watch as much wrestling as I could. And now I have over 1600 matches rated for last year. Um, God, that's a lot of wrestling. Um, yeah, so, um, we ended up, do you want, do you want to go through the whole list? Do you want to go through my personal list? Like what's your plan here, Tyler? Um, look, yeah, you're Mr. FSM top 50. Let's. Uh, however you want to frame it, I'm, I'm very intrigued because I intentionally came in blind for this because I, I knew okay. you want to talk about it, but you didn't tell me you were a panelist. Yeah, surprise, bitches. It happened. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so um, 
Yeah, uh, on Alan's show, we we talked through the top 50 and gave our thoughts individually on each one. Um, and so I'll just do the top five on the FSM, and then I can go through my top 100 if you want, and we can just have brief discussions about those people. How's that sound? You're gross. Okay, I don't know if that's a yes or no, but I guess we'll move top forward with 100. it. Top 100. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's I, go. Uh, I'm a, I'm extremely a nerd. I, I don't know what else to tell you. All right, so the top five on the FSM 50, and you can see the FSM 50 on VoicesOfWrestling.com. Uh, but the top five, uh, you know what? Hell, let's do the top ten. Uh, top ten, number ten, Zack Sabre Jr. Number nine, Kenneth Omega. Number eight, Fuminari Abe. Uh, number seven, Mike Bailey. Number six, Kazuchika Okada. Number five, Yuma Aoyagi. Number four, John Moxley. Number three, Kento Miyahara. Number two, Brian Danielson. And number one, Will Ospreay. Now, just to be clear, the, the criteria for this list is the output that they yes. they put out this past year, okay? Yes, so, that is correct. I love, um, love, love the input of Fuminari Abe, Abe in the top ten. That uh, match he had with uh, Nomura at, for We Are the Fighting Detectives Produce Show is one of the better matches you'll see all year. Um, the astronauts uh, don't get nearly the exposure that they deserve considering they're in big Japan, but they're tremendous as well. Look, I don't really have any major qualms. I thought Moxley might be a spot higher. Um, I also thought you might see Nakajima uh, in that top 10 just because of his end-of-year output was so, so, so good, but this is a year-long um, poll. I also think Omega didn't really do shit, so I'm a little surprised to see him in the top 10. Um, but he's also Kenny Omega, so he has a little bit more cachet, which is going to lay in. Yeah, I mean, that does help, but I, I do think he had a, a damn strong year, too. So, um... well, 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 let's talk about Omega's year. He had the cage match with Mox. He had Blood and Guts. Um, he had, I think, the, tr- the small trios run where they had the two matches from the, the best of seven. And then they had the House of Black match, which I did give five stars at Revolution. What did he really do outside of that? The Ethan Page match? Like, to me, there just isn't this glut of matches that you can really use to have that conversation. I had him in four or five plus star matches this year. I, I grade like Meltzer, modern Meltzer. So apologies to anyone that gets offended to that. Uh, but I had him with the, you know, two five star plus matches with Will Ospreay. I had him. I, I loved the the Kingo match from that one Dynamite. I went five and a half on that because I thought it was just amazing. Um, and I also had him in a five-star trios match, the last of the, um, you know, the feud with uh, Death Triangle uh, in a Escalera de la Muerte match uh, back on the January 11th, 2023 uh, Dynamite. Um, in addition to that, um, you know, I thought they had a great um, trios match with House of Black. Uh, I thought he had a great all-out match with uh, Takeshita and on the one collision a few months ago against MJF. Uh, I liked his uh, Triple Mania match against Vikingo, even though Triple uh, A production is hell. Uh, I loved the Air Fox and Top Flight trios match um, and the uh, Jericho, Garcia, and Guevara match and the Moxley Steel Cage. Um, I actually really liked his random dynamite match against Wheeler Yuta. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought the Wrestle Dream trios was great. The Kyle Fletcher match was great. Um, you know, I liked the um, 
the street fight with um, Paul White as a teammate. I thought that was really good against uh, Brian Cage and the uh, Callis family. Uh, the Young Bucks tag with uh, Jericho I thought was really good. I mean, I thought he had just a ton of great matches. So um, I think if you actually you know look a little deeper at his year, I think he was actually having great matches on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, maybe I'm just you're a hater conning it differently. Yeah, maybe I'm just a hater. Just a um, hater. Yeah, I, I guess he had more than I, I remembered, but it's. It, it still felt like a bad year for Omega and a bad year for Omega is still a good year for pretty much everybody else. Exactly. Like, and we're going to see this in a few years, probably uh, sometime in the near future with Will Ospreay, just because he's not going to work that schedule and he's, he's going to slow down at some point. So, uh, you know, he's going to be like, you know, in my, you know, if you take a statistical look at it, I guess as much as you can, uh, this kind of subjective thing, but he's going to have like a year where he's like, the fifth best wrestler in the world and you're going to get a lot of think pieces about how you know he's his he's done he's toast you know and we kind of had that with okada a few years ago where he went from being like probably you know the acclaimed the best wrestler in the year in the world to like a step down to where you know he's only air quotes only the fourth best wrestler or something and then we got a lot of like oh my god is okada done now you know discussion oh, um, boy, i can't wait for that also, uh, just uh, for the record, the top woman in the FSM 50 was uh, Julia from Stardom. She finished 15th. Uh, and uh, I, one thing I really like about this year's FSM versus last year's was we had a lot more uh, Lucha representation in the final 50 uh, with Teton on top at 11th, but also uh, the likes of uh, Mystico and Soberano Jr. Uh, That's my boy. Love Soberano Jr. Oh, he rules. Uh, you got to get a fur coat and a limo to become a Rudo and buddy that's a great way to go uh but yeah here's um I'll, I'll go through my top 100 so the promotions i did watch uh closely at least in terms of like getting all their major matches that were well received uh were aw wwe impact new japan all japan noah uh and uh stardom and tokyo joshi pro uh i did not get to watch like the last month or two of stardom so that pushes them down a little bit uh, and also, uh, I did my best with DDT and Dragon Gate, but I don't think I did a fantastic job with those. Oh, and CMLL and AAA as well, um, even though AAA had a rough year. Um, I didn't really get into like the European or American indie scenes, uh, but otherwise, you know, I think I did, you know, as well as reasonably I could for a guy that's not doing this for a living. So, all right. So here's my top 100 in reverse order. Uh, Tyler. I'll give you a chance to share any thoughts uh, after each five. I'm Ready? glad you're going to be doing a lot of talking because Odie is borking at something outside right now. <laughs> so give, give us a good opportunity to uh, for you to further investigate. All right, so I had Starlight Kid 100th, uh, Trent Beretta 99th, Drew McIntyre 98th, Utami Hayashishita at 97, and Tai Chi at 96. Tai Chi's too low. Um, I wasn't very impressed by his 2023. I thought he he had regressed. For me, he had a four and three quarter star match and a five star match this year. Um, I I I get it, but at the same time, he peaked so high for me. I in a vacuum, I just feel like he should be higher. The um the match against Will Osprey from the G1. Oh, that was great. Yeah, I gave five stars, and I think that was my sixth or seventh on Voice of Wrestling's um, match of the year poll. 
Um, I'll have to pull that up actually because I can't remember where I put it, but I had it very highly. That was one of the best finishing stretches I saw all year. I only I only went four and a half on it because I'm a hater. I, I had it at seventh, and we can talk about our top ten match of the year list later today or next week. I'm not sure yeah. we can have a live production meeting and talk and figure that out. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, my next five, 95th, Green Go Loco, 94, Hazuki, 93, Dragon Dia from Dragon Gate, 92, Sammy Guevara, and 91, Jonathan Gresham. Did Gresham wrestle that much this year? Impact, mainly. He, he, he was mainly Impact. Uh, he had a series of like very solid matches, like a lot of stuff I had in the four to four and a half range, but uh, like some good stuff with Bailey. He had a good uh, world title shot against Alex Shelley in Impact. He had, I think, maybe Eddie Edwards' best match of the year in Impact, which at this point in time is a uh, feather in the cap. Um, and yeah, I think he just was a really solid worker. Um, I don't know that he really got like a huge push or anything in uh, Impact. He was always kind of like a second tier guy, at least in terms of how he was used last year. But I think he did a damn good job with what he was able to do. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. I just don't, don't remember hearing much from Gresham after he said he was joining Impact. Like, I don't remember hearing about matches. I don't remember really seeing anything. He wasn't so, really pushed like a big deal, uh, which was kind of a surprise. You know, I would have thought they would have pushed him a little harder. But all right, my next fight 90, uh, Samoa Joe, 89, Josh Alexander, number 88, Yoshihashi, uh, 87, Seth Rollins, and 86, Azumi. Samoa Joe's going to be a top 10 by the end of the year. If he works regularly, that's always the concern with him because he was great whenever he did get a big match, but he didn't get a whole lot of them in uh, 2023. You know, I'm sorry. He's, he is the savior of all elite wrestling. Um, yeah. He, I, maybe not top 10. I think top 20, like the work Samoa Joe is doing is arguably the best of his career right now, which is saying something because it's Samoa fucking Joe. Yeah. Uh, just you want to talk about the hook match now, since we're kind of at a natural transition point? Nope, we can talk about All right, that cool. later, because we are talking the FSM Top 15, your psychotic Top 100. <laughs> All right, uh, next five, I 85. Mean that, I mean that in a, oh, in a good way. Yeah, it's good psychotic, yeah. Uh, like Michael Jordan uh, with the Bulls, not after. Uh, 85, Chris Brooks. Uh, 84, Francesco Akira. 83, Micah. Uh, 82, Hiroshi Tanahashi. And 81, Shoko Nakajima. It's really unfortunate that Chris Brooks uh, got hurt because I think he just won DDT's top title. Yeah, he and... did. Great match. Great match. Yeah, who did he beat? Was it Endo? Uh, I think it may have been. Let me. Um, actually, I think it may have been uh, Yuji Hino, uh, which worked even better because like Hino is massive and Brooks is tall and skinny, and so it made a, a good visual. Mm-hmm. All right, Continue next on. one's 80, Shun Skywalker. I am much lower on him than the FSM final placement. Uh, 79, Ryuka Honda. Uh, 78, Miyu Watanabe uh, from Tokyo Joshi Pro, who I think is going to possibly be top 50 in the near future. Uh, 77, Kushida. And 76, Kevin Owens. I will say Miyu Watanabe. Um, I believe uh, the guys at um, Jumping Bomb Audio on this podcast were Taylor and Kelly both have very, very high opinions of Watanabe. And I know they absolutely loved the, the 10 woman uh, tag best. I, I think still haven't watched that yeah. from December 1st. Uh, it was like the new generation versus the old generation. 
they said it was absolutely phenomenal. So I do need to seek that out and watch it. I have the link. I just need to. I need By to the get time. to it. I feel you yeah. on that. All right. Uh, next five. 75, Naruki Joy. 74, Brody King. 73, Rika Tatsumi. 72, TJP. And 71, Mao from DDT. Mao rules. He I have rule. never seen Mao until uh, WrestleMania weekend because DDT is just... I, I, I'll never forget the first time I watched a Peter Pan and I watched the weapons rumble. And the third, the third one in there was um, they drew blood from one of the wrestlers. And I just thought it was the hilarious, most hilarious thing I'd ever seen. And I'm like, this is not pro wrestling, but this is so pro wrestling. It's so DDT great. is such a weird promotion. Uh, even now when it's like not really that wacky compared to how it previously was for the most part. DDT is uh, just not for me, and that's okay. But I totally understand why it is for some people. That's about where I am with it. Like I like some of the stuff they do, but I, I'm not a pheromones guy, and that stable like is seemingly on every show doing stuff, and I'm like, all right, that's okay. All right, next five seventy Yoda Suji sixty nine Chris Cherico sixty eight Suzu Suzuki sixty seven Ilya Dragunov and sixty six Wheeler Yuda. Jericho at 69 is so ironic. I, I knew you were going to make a comment on that, and uh, I just knew it. Any I, other I thoughts? It as, as less as least cancelable as possible. Right. Um, it's it, it, just because of everything that came out, him being at that number is just... Yeah. Uh, just Suji is... Yoda Suji, I'm very excited about this coming year. I think he could really... I, I would not be shocked if he was on next year's FSM. Uh, oh, because he yeah, rules. Uh, Suji could be top twenty easily. Yeah, and, he just needs the opportunities. Depends. Yeah, well, and there's four of them right now in New Japan, and somebody's going to have to step up. Yeah, who's it going to be? I don't think it's going to be Narita because he's with House of Torture, but we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, sixty-five, Manabu Soya. Uh, sixty-four, Go Shiyazaki. Sixty-three, Angel de Oro from CMLL. Uh, sixty-two, Daniel Garcia, and sixty-one, Sami Zayn. Soya's really come around this year. He's looked a lot better. He looked yeah. really good against Keno in that title match on the on Noah the New Year. Uh, he beat Sonata, which uh, was the genesis of Sonata leaving Lij and yeah. forming just five guys. Uh, that was, was a, a good uh, storyline for that show. He was a really important figure in pro wrestling this year. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about WWE in general because uh, Sami Zayn is my second highest WWE guy. And uh, there's going to be some people that are like, well, why don't you rank WWE guys higher? Uh, it's not so much ability. Like, Sami Zayn's a great wrestler. Uh, Kevin Owens is a great wrestler. It's Seth about Rollins. work. It's about, this, is, uh, this isn't like a who's the best wrestlers in the world kind of list. It's a who had the best year uh, in ring. So to me, two things that matter that, that are the things that matter really for this are match quality and match quantity and how often are you having those great matches and wwe just is not a promotion built around having great matches on a regular basis and if i'm going to use those two things as the central you know the backbone the central tenets of my rankings then wwe is just kind of uh you know put in a position where they aren't going to rank as high because you know they go against what i value for this mm -hmm. so you know, it's fine. Um, WWE's getting more than their fair share of flowers. Please look at the PWI awards that just came out this week. Um, yeah, I just, you know, it's just how this works. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, next five. 60, Leo Rush. Who I nearly said Roosh because of locker room leader Roosh. 
Uh, 59, Black Taurus. 58, Master Watto. 57, Big Boss Shimizu. Yeah. I love, I love him. Uh, and 56, MJF. Um, if Okay, MJF was another one that I saw some people like, I can't believe he's not on there. Um, MJF doesn't wrestle that much. No, he doesn't. And that, that's the problem with this, again, is I do think quantity matters. Uh, quantity of great matches. Mm-hmm. Um, he had the great Brian Danielson one. Um, and he had, um, like, the Kenny Omega match was really great. Uh, I liked his tag match with Adam Cole against FTR. Uh, the Takeshita match way back in February was great. I liked the actual work from the Double or Nothing four-corner match. Um, I liked the first Adam Cole match. I like the uh, first Samoa Joe match. Um, you know, I, he had a good fair share of great matches, but it's just that there's like weeks and weeks between them sometimes. That hurts him in my uh, silly rankings. Yeah, uh, I think one of the big things we already briefly touched on, it, the output is going to be really important with this discussion. Yeah, because uh, like just as a point of reference, uh, MJF uh, had seven notebook matches, four plus star matches for me. Uh, and the guys in the top 10 all had like 15 or more, you know, or 14 or more. And that's just, I mean, mathematically, that's hard to, you know, come back from. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, next five, 55, Chris Sabin, 54, Tom Nakano from Stardom. Uh, Nakano, if I could speak properly. Uh, 53, Ray Phoenix, 52, Mayu Iwatani, and 51, Kota Minura. I'm a little surprised Phoenix is on there because hasn't he been out for like half the year? Yeah, he missed a lot. Yeah, but he had a, I I love Phoenix as a worker, and I thought he had a great half of the year when he was healthy. You know, relative to what he was being pushed to in particular. But um, another thing with stardom is I just thought they had a real flop of the year. Uh, I actually thought Especially Tokyo Joshi Pro. Business-wise. Business-wise yeah. is not good. But also uh, in terms of output, creatively, whatever you want to put it, um, I thought it was just a dire year for them. Um, so I'm much lower on them this year. And, uh, you know, they're not even my top uh, Joshi wrestler. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But, you know, I think that's, you know, a lot of injuries you know, hurts them in this ranking too. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do think Saban being that high is good. Saban had a very good year. He did have uh, a very good year. The Motor City Machine Guns, the the story arc with the GCW titles putting over East West Express was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, his X Division run has been really good. Like, Saban had a really good year. And he's what, 41, 42? Yeah. Yeah, he's in his Doesn't look now. like it. No, still a great wrestler. Uh, next five, number 50, Tetsuya Naito. 49 FTR. I do group tag teams together if they're, you know, tag teams. Uh, 48 Athena, 47 Julia, and 46 Mio Yamashita. Yamashita rules, man. She um, does. I really don't watch a lot of Tokyo Joshi, but every time I do, she stands out. She's, I would like to see her featured in a, an American uh, professional wrestling company because I want to see more of her and I want to, like, I think she could have fascinating matches with some of like the bigger stars, but I also don't trust any company to push her the right way. Yeah. Uh, I will say that, you know, I think that I would like to see her have an American match on TV uh, just as a make good from the Thunder Rosa one. That was kind of a mess two years ago um, because I think Thunder Rosa just wasn't physically up to it. Um, But, you know, weird stuff does happen, but she's great uh, in Tokyo Joshi in particular. Uh, next five, 45, Mark Briscoe, 44, Mark Davis, 43, Volador Jr., 
42 Sonata, and 41 Mizuki. I don't have anything. All right, cool. Good group of uh, wrestlers. Next five. Uh, 40 Gunter, 39 Alex Shelley, 38 Yuki Yoshioka from Dragon Gate, 37 Kaito Kiyomiya, and 36 Templario. Really thought Shelley would be a little bit higher considering how good his run with that Impact World title or the TNA World title was. <laughs> Formerly um, He had a very good year. Yeah, he did have a very good year. Uh, I thought he had a lot of, like, very solid, like, you know, great matches, but not, like, top-tier stuff, really. Nothing close to, like, the five-star range uh, for me. Uh, next five, 35, Rocky Romero, 34, Pentagon Jr., 33, Kyle Fletcher, 32, Mystico, and 31, Shingo Takagi. Tell me why Rocky Romero's behind Kyle Fletcher. Uh, I think Kyle Fletcher has had a lot of good matches. He actually had a better run in New Japan, I think, than you uh, would probably give him credit for uh, between when Mark Davis was healthy and they were having good tag matches and also um, when he was having uh, singles matches. You know, uh, He had some very good ones in AEW, like uh, the one against Brian Danielson, the one against uh, Kenny Omega. Those were both uh, quite good, I thought. And he also had like a four-star match with Yoshihashi in the New Japan Cup. Yeah, but Rocky Romero, the stuff he was doing in Mexico was incredible. Yeah, I, I just think uh, I was a li- you know a little lower on Rocky Romero, I guess, relatively uh, to you. Um, I, I mean, I really like his CML stuff, but he also disappeared from CML for like you know four months, so that didn't help. Yeah. All right, let's continue on. All right, uh, number 30, Kanosuke Takeshita, 29, Jay White, 28, Orange Cassidy, 27, El Desperado, and 26, Mascara Dorada. Hell yeah, Despi. Hell yeah. That's all I got. Okay, uh, next five, 25, Commander, 24, El Soberano Jr., 23, The Young Bucks, 22, Katsuhiko Nakajima, and 21, Darby Allen. Okay. Uh, number 20, Shota Umino, 19, Madoka Kikuda, 18, Eddie Kingston, 17, Adam Page, and 16, Kino. Uh, Kino, sh- Kino rules. Kino does rule, man. I I think he's a perfect fit for Noah, other than Noah is just a trashly being dumb. <laughs> God, Kino rocks. He's a guy that I would have loved to have seen in the territory days, go into a, a territory for three months, uh, just beat the piss out of everybody and put over the, the baby face at the end and leave. Yeah. Just spend like a month just kicking jobbers in the head. Oh, how great would that be? That would have like been awesome. South or mid Atlantic. Oh, I'd love it. Um, he, he's, he's a throwback in a modern way. And I, yeah. I, I, I love Keno. I, I think, uh, he's a great guy for Noah to have as their flag bearer. If they would actually figure it out, you know, <laughs> that he should be their flag bearer. Uh, I mean, Kai Kumio, I would have put I would put above him, frankly, in that ranking. But it feels like he's already halfway out. So, what a mess of a of a promotion, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, fifteen Hiromu Takahashi, fourteen Tomohiro Ishii, thirteen Swerve Strickland, twelve Teton, and eleven Zack Saber Junior. Hell yeah, Teton and Swerve. This is this is the next generation, baby. Yeah, it's great to see some of these younger guys up here. Um, it's just a very exciting time, I think, to be a wrestling fan. And then my top 10 uh, in order. Claudio Castanoli, Yuma Aoyagi, Hijo Del Vikingo, Mike Bailey, Kazuchiko Okada, John Moxley, Kenny Omega, Kento Miyahara, Brian Danielson, and Will Ospreay. 
Good list. That is a list of wrestlers. We probably have no listeners now. That's okay. The the real ones stick around. Yeah. We appreciate the you. real heads that love just hearing names. Next week we'll just do remember some guys. Just Jack straight Rose up Green. like just fifteen minutes of just naming guys from uh the NFL. Uh not hey Davenport. Oh dude, not Najee Davenport was in the same backfield as Willis McGahee, Frank Gore, and Clinton Portis. What a group. What a wild. What a group. Eddie Lacey. All right. Uh, let's talk wrestling. Let's talk about Dynamite Inclusion. Because um, I think we just kind of covered all the news and then my dumb opinion shit. Um, any thoughts on Collision? Because, man, I thought that was... Uh, I, I think the last two weeks of Collision have just been a real grind. I'll be honest. I have no thoughts on Collision. I just thought it was kind of a... It was an inoffensive, average-ass show. Yeah. I wasn't like... I'm not, like, mad about it or anything, but it's like a total 5 out of 10 show. I think that uh, that House of Black versus FTR and Daniel Garcia match is actually a good encapsulation of the past couple of weeks of Collision, where it's like, okay, you did this for 30 minutes. It would have been a lot better if you structured this for 18. Yep. I mean, it just is, you know, I mean, it's not a bad match. I went three and a half on it, but like, you know, that's the highest rated thing I had on the show. Um, it's just kind of, it, it was way too long. It was way too long, and I just uh, kind of hated it that fair um i did not watch battle of the belts because of time considerations i did like the angle they did at the end of uh collision to set up battle of the belts and kind of give that a uh, tag match a hot start with the the brawling backstage yeah i, I, uh, I just i got nothing to say <laughs> verbose tyler fornis all right, let's talk about Dynamite, I guess, uh, since we're just skipping everything else on Collision. Like, is there literally nothing else you want to talk about on this show? Because I'm not going to argue with you. No, it's, it was just an <laughs> average-ass wrestling show. It existed. It was inoffensive. I don't regret it, but no, I got nothing. I like, I do want to ask you. I will ask you. What do you think about the uh, Adam Copeland Open Challenge, challenge series? I kind of like it. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a, a good way for Copeland to just get... Um, more television time and i really hope they they do a lot of younger wrestlers like i hope an action andretti goes out and challenges him and they just have like a 15 minute television match because i think that could be really useful i think it's a good use of copeland keep keeping him out of a lot of the top stuff and getting him on television because the fans really do like him he gets the big pops um he actually has been okay as far as the ratings and uh, like the the minute by minutes and stuff, uh, the quarter hours. So getting them in there, getting some other wrestlers TV time, getting them in ring work. And then whatever Copeland has next, if it's more uh, Christian Cage, if it's something else, this is a good way to keep him on TV and, and get your money's worth. Yeah, basically, I uh, I concur. Um, I do wish that the matches were a little better. I, I think that uh, for this to really be effective, I do think you want like better than just like three star specials. But I think that might be a problem with Adam Copeland. Um, you know, it feels like his matches are v- always very solid, but um, not that spectacular. It's very WWE of him. Yes. Yes, it is. Speaking of WWE, uh, Dynamite's first match was Christian Cage against Dustin Rhodes a couple of uh, 
old Yvettes, and I thought they put on a pretty good match. Yeah, I, I missed some of this because I was cooking dinner, but mm, brood. just, just hey, hey, you know what? The wife has to eat, so um, I am the cook in the house. Look, good match. Um, yeah. Two veterans, busting ass, doing great stuff. I like it. Yeah, I thought this was a very, very solid professional match. Um, I, I kind of think uh, Dustin Rhodes kicking out of the kill switch was a little excessive. Probably would have just had him kick out of the spear, but, you know. I'm just picking bits at this point. Um, I thought it was a really good match. Uh, I thought Dustin Rhodes had a nice showing, and uh, I did miss the finish. It, so Dustin got finished with a spear. Uh, no, he got speared and then hit with a kill switch, which was a two, uh, two count, and then uh, the second kill switch finished him off. Okay, because if he got finished with the spear, that's something to be no, mindful of. Okay, I, I would have just had him. Uh, like I was just saying that I would have had him do the two ki- uh, two count kick out, uh, surprise kick out for the spear right before the end. All right. Uh, then we got uh, promos with Swerve Strickland uh, saying that I thought this was quite good. Um, talking about how he's focused on the world championship, but uh, he gets asked about Hangman by Renee, and he you know he's like, hey, he's really good, but he can't beat me. I beat him twice. He can't, you know, you know, I don't have to do it again. I have no one to prove it to. So they're definitely setting up a Swerve Hangman match. I think the only question is if it's going to be a three-way with Samoa Joe at Revolution. Um, but I thought this was a uh, quite a good promo. Um, I, love, I love Swerve. He's great. He really is. Uh, Chris Jericho next with Renee um, talked about how um, you know he's just pissed about um, losing the tag match. Uh, Blaming uh, the Callis family and uh, put over how he beat Takeshi and DDT. Um, so he's going to seek and destroy them. And then Matt Seidel comes in and says, Hey, you're really fixated on this. You know, maybe you should uh, face someone who's beaten you before. And it's me. And basically makes a challenge. And then um, Jericho drops a cute little line where he goes, Maybe you were born to do this. <laughs> and so they set up a rampage match. Tremendous line. Absolutely tremendous line. Yeah, that was, that was cute. That was very cute. Uh, next up, we had Best Friends, Orange Cassidy and Trent Beretta with a uh, Chuck Taylor appearance, and then Commander and Pinta with a Ray Phoenix appearance, uh, the injured buddies on the outside. Uh, this was a good match. Uh, not like uh, one I'll remember at the end of the year, but this was fun. I went three and three quarter on it. Um, just some fun it felt, stuff. It felt like a Rampage match, and I don't mean that as insulting. Yeah, that's in a good way. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, it's good to see Trent get a little shine, um, you know, getting the pinfall on Commander. Um, I think Commander would look very good in the match. I mean, I thought they all did. So, uh, yeah, just fun stuff. And then afterwards, we had uh, the Kingdom come out, and Roddy challenged Orange Cassidy, who accepted right there, right then. And of course, Roddy, being the heel, said, let's wait till Revolution. Good stuff. Yeah, just a solid, solid segment all around. That match could be uh, has like sneaky five star potential. It does. It does. There's a. I, I don't know that I put it at a high probability just because of where it'll be on the card and you know everything. But they could put out a real classic, I think, and uh, should be a lot of fun, frankly. Uh, next up, we had Renee backstage with Hangman. So he talks about how you know you want to find anyone over the past five years who cared more about the AEW World Championship. He's going to win it again. Uh, he was asked about Swerve, and then he said. Um, 
I don't even think about him at all. And then he does do, do the one thing that I kind of think they've been missing in this whole feud or this whole storyline over the past couple of weeks where he actually acknowledges that Hook could win the title and goes, maybe, maybe the world champion will be you, Hook. God be with you. And I thought that was an awesome <laughs> line. Nice, nice way to end that promo. Uh, and then we had a really lovely segment where Mark Briscoe comes out. Uh, they put over, he talks about how the Briscoes were the best tag team in the world. It's been a year since Jay passed away. He talked about how his nieces were in the truck with Jay, and they were told that the oldest niece would never walk again. Well, out they come. They got an entrance. Um, got a little teary-eyed here. It was This was a nice, really nice segment. Just... Um, Mark, you know, says you can't stop us. We love you all. And then they do the Jay Briscoe tribute video from a year ago, which is still a great video. Uh, this was, I, I think this is actually a nice little defining feature of AEW versus WWE, where when real world shit happens, like they don't use it for heat, like this kind of real world stuff. Um, they they aren't going to like have Randy Orton come out and say, well, Eddie Guerrero's in hell now, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, I thought this was lovely. I thought this was a, just a very kind thing to do. How cool was it to see her walk out of there? It was like that. It's awesome. That's so that's so awesome. Dem boys forever. Yeah, dem, dem boys, boys forever. forever. Rest in peace, Jay Briscoe. Um. All right. Uh, next up on the show, we had the Renee sit down with the Young Bucks and. Tyler, oh, you want to take God. this one? Oh, God. This is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. There it is rolled. nobody. <laughs> I love this lot. There is nobody in the history of professional wrestling that can make themselves a douchebag better than the Young Bucks. And the, the, the way they were, how pretentious they were, how they utilized reality into the storyline, talking about how they're EVPs and asking, well, Renee, did you get your paycheck? You're welcome. Just. <laughs> This is great stuff. And Nicholas and Matthew. Oh, oh, just phenomenal. Just so, so, so good. I, Matt Matt cut a hell of a promo here. I, I think gotta give him credit for that. Uh specifically. Hey, uh um, Matthew, excuse me. Sorry, I get apologize. It right. I, I'm not on the payroll, so I guess I can call him Matt, uh disrespectfully. Um yeah, I thought Matt did a, a very good promo here. This did a good job of establishing their characters. It's just, uh, I don't know, uh, classic Young Bucks, uh, pr- you know, prick heels, but they're in suits. Um, God, just, they look like pretentious douchebags. They've they got the, like, the, the crappy mustaches that are fantastic. They, they they looked like shitty French painters from like 1884. <laughs> like, just so good. Yeah. Nobody they're, is a douchebag better than the Young Bucks. Yeah, they just like, look like total jerks. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Uh, if this was a great better, I don't know if this is better than their arc where um, they were dyeing their hair really shitty blonde <laughs> and um, it trying to look like douchebag Shawn Michaels. But this is this is so good. Um, they they're really, really good at just naturally making themselves look like jerks too. Like they yeah. th- that's an underrated part of their act. Um. They obviously talked about uh, Sting and potential retirement match, and they kind of danced around it, but they also said, they almost said, yeah. Um, Then later on in the show, we had uh, a little promo um, with Darby and Sting, a little pre-tape, and uh, 
they said that they they're twenty six and zero as a team, and they want the tag team titles. So we're probably going to get a Sting and Darby versus Big Bill and Ricky Starks um, within the next couple weeks. I'd say. Yeah, it seems like it, and uh, that'll be fun, man. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. All right, uh, next up was uh, the Bullet Club Gold challenging for the uh, Ring of Honor World Six-Man Championships against uh, the Mogul Embassy. And uh, I guess I was the high man on this in general. I went four stars on this. I thought this was a blast. I really liked this. I really enjoyed it, too. Four stars is what I gave it. Oh, okay. If I would have told you in April when Jay White debuted with AEW, I think it was April, um, that his peak so far in the company would be ROH six man champion. Would you <laughs> it would have sound like a disaster? Me? No, I would not. And I, I, if you told me that, I would have been like, oh, that would have been an awful year for him. But I do think he's had a, in general, pretty good year. Yeah, just overall, um, been a disappointing run for him. But he hasn't been bad, he's been very good. It's just he just hasn't been in a lot of those high-profile spots. Yeah. I really think uh, we need to start making Collision like have their own storylines and then have some that bleed over to Dynamite and have Dynamite have their own storylines. Not a split roster, but there's more that we can be doing with this roster with how much television time there is, and I just want to see it. Yeah, I mean, they do that a little bit, but I, I do think that there's some ways that it could be uh... – could be better. All right. All what right. Was next, was it the top light match? Uh, it was. Well, there's the Adam Cole and Wardlow pre-tape, which was a solid little promo, and then it was Anna Jay and uh, Deanna Perazzo, which I thought was a serviceable way to introduce uh, Perazzo. I thought Anna Jay looked a little, you know, not smooth at points, but I still thought this was a solid match. I went three stars on it. God, Anna Jay looks like a million bucks whenever she gets into the ring. Yeah. She just she's she's got the personality, she's got the look, she's got the physique. She just looks it and then you see her wrestling and it's like, "All right, we have a lot of work to do." Yeah. Perrazzo, I think that's a great way to put it. Perazzo to me feels different than a lot of the women on this roster, and I think she's going to elevate the baseline significantly. I don't know if she's ever going to be a tippy top, but I think she she could be in the upper mid card in this division for the next five years, and I'd be very happy with that. Yeah, I think she could uh, be a really good second tier uh, star. I think she's behind like Hater and Storm in general, but um, yeah, uh, I think she's uh, she ha- she's looked pretty good so far. Uh, I don't think she's. Um, you know, like going to be a natural on the mic, a high level, uh, you know, person there. But I do think she's uh, acquitted herself well so far in that aspect of things. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm very excited to see what her versus Timeless Tony's going to look like. I think they could easily have a four star match. I'm, I'm. This is a good opponent, and I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued. Yeah. And, all right, I have uh, ripped on the Tony Storm gimmick largely since it's uh, come, you know, since it was first revealed. I enjoyed this Tony Storm segment. 
I think this is the second week in a row I've said that. Maybe they figured out a way to uh, make it good, at least in my opinion. It's um, less cartoony bullshit, and it's just yeah. more genuine. I... And more witty, rather than just like, you know, we're going to be wacky kind of nonsense. Yeah. And I think that's a key change. Um, you know, we had, um, of course, Anna and Deanna shook hands afterwards, because baby faces. Um, anyways. Um, she, um, you know, she, she, Deanna cuts a little fine, you know, it's fine promo, uh, where she's like, I, you never met the greatest technical women's wrestler, the virtuosa, uh, even though we used to be like sisters and Tony grabs the mic. She's outraged. Uh, she referred to herself as technical, technically speaking, my past is none of your concern. I ought to march in the ring and sock you right in your box. Phenomenal line. Oh my god. Uh that that was very good. Uh I enjoyed her being on uh Luther's set shoulders and then just throwing a shoe at her after she hit her catchphrase. Um and then Prazo chucked it at Mariah May. Yeah, I thought they uh stayed on this a little too long, like they should have cut a commercial like pretty much right after Tony cut the you know through the shoe. Um, but in general, this was way better than I've been, in my opinion, than other Tony Storm stuff. So if they're like figuring out how to actually do this gimmick and make it work, that's a plus, obviously, uh, especially because she's the women's champion. So, all right. Um, next, uh, party, private party and top flight. I liked this match and I also kind of hated it. (laughs) Um, I went three and a half on it, but it's a, it was a weird match to me. Um, Mark Quinn is obviously rusty, but yeah, the gin and juice looked great. The 450 looked great. Uh, and I'm just going to chalk it up to Mark Quinn being rusty after being out for a year. Uh, yeah, it was the in-between stuff that he was rough with. Um, and Private uh, Party's always been good at the high spots. It's, uh, yeah. Their issue has always been cohesively linking everything together. Yeah. I think this made it very clear why Top Flight is higher on the picking order uh, than Private Party, even though Private Party was brought in to basically be what Top Flight was originally. Um, I, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Private Party going forward. I'm not saying there's nothing there. I do think that they can be a solid tag team, but in modern AEW, it is tough to be like a, second tier tag team in this company because the tag team division is not being treated like an actual main event program in general. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a tough position to be in. So we'll see. But, you know, the private party did get the win. Mark Quinn used the ropes. Now the question is, was he just kind of trying to steady himself or was he actually cheating? They did a good job. If that was intended of, um, using that as an angle at the same time i would also buy it if that was a complete botch um afterwards we got a little sting darby hype video uh and then tyler as i hear myself echo um and then we got hook and samoa joe in the greatest squash although i wouldn't really call this a squash but you know um, it's an extended squash it's, yeah that's what it's, it is a wonderfully put together match that was worked really well. And as far it's not a five star match, but in terms of doing what they wanted to do, this was a five star match. Oh, five star squash. Um, in reality, four and a quarter. Yeah, that's this where was I was four and a quarter as well. Phenomenal. Um, in every possible way. 
he they hook started jumping him and then joe kind of took control hook kept fighting resiliently knowing that he was an underdog and just kept socking him with punches and punches and punches joe took control with that standing your nagi off the table was that was one of the coolest table bumps i've ever seen because he hits like the because they have that almost like a little arc that like it says like AEW on it that little cover he hits the cover and the edge of the table and then the table kind of collapses in the opposite direction and then they get back in the ring Samoa Joe hits the muscle buster and then the one count kick out phenomenally timed um just he knows he's screwed but he's not going to give up without a fight he's not going to stop and then you get this. The, this was great underdog uh, baby face work here. Oh, yeah. You get Hook with a, a blaze of glory. You get a few clotheslines. You get the punches in the corner. And then you get the T-bone. And then pretty quickly after, Joe's like, all right, you're done, kid. And just chokes him out. Yeah. But then Hook, resilient as ever, uh, stands up after the match when Joe's leaving. That all you got? Joe comes in and gives him another muscle buster. And he's about to say it again. And then Hangman Page comes out. And then we get Swerve Strickland. Look, phenomenal. Hook is made. Hook is for real. Yeah, this was a great way. This is all about like getting over in a loss. Uh, 100%. Um, I love this so much. Um, and uh, I do have to ask you, Was did Joe uh, kick Hook in the nuts in the in the post match and also did he do that and was that like supposed to be part of the angle or was it just uh a, a total accident I'm not sure I don't if it was a total accident god damn did it work um if it was real <laughs> it's perfect uh look it, that's just a little added touch that makes things better and yeah. Joe is just the best at being like this kind of heel like just the uh, the ass kicking heel and uh I can't believe, like, it's just the easiest thing in the world, and I can't believe how many times throughout his career, outside forces were like, we have to overcomplicate this, you know? Like, I'm not saying he can't be a baby face at times. He definitely can. He's good in that role. But he's great at just being this jerk of a heel, and um... Yeah. Just awesome. Just awesome. Phenomenal stuff. Like, this is one of this could be like that tenth match of the year. Uh, yeah, the, that would board. that would be it, this would be. Yeah, this is definitely a uh, like the token. Uh, I just want to mention this match kind of deal. Yeah, just phenomenal. Um, do you want to do top tens next week? Yeah, well, let's do top tens next week. I feel like we, yeah. we, I've already killed the list gimmick this week. So you really have. Um, yeah. For those of you that don't know, the Voice of Wrestling Media Match of the Year poll and. This one is unique because it is only members of the media. If you host a podcast, if you write about professional wrestling in any way, shape, or form, you are eligible for a ballot. Um, There are only a couple days left as voting closes on Sunday, September 21st. And hats off to Voice of Wrestling's Jeremy Sexton for creating arguably the greatest ballot of all time. Um, And just making it so easy to get put together. Just It's phenomenal stuff. Uh, but we will share our um, top 10 match of the year lists. And it, it, it's, the, in my opinion, the best poll because it, it draws from so many different areas of wrestling media. 
It draws from dozens of countries and people that have different viewing experiences. They will, some are Joshi focused, some are WWE focused, some do everything like Lucha. It's, it's all different, but that's what makes it so great because it gets so many different opinions in one poll. And usually there is a consensus number one. So I'm very intrigued to kind of see how everything shapes up this year. How many of my matches, because I think I had seven in the top 10 last year. I don't think I'll have that this year um, because there's so many, so many good matches out there. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what the results are, and I'm looking forward to it quite a bit. With that, that is good, the bad, and the hungry for this week. Please like, comment, subscribe, um, leave a five-star review, and do all the fun things to help us out and let us know how, how you feel about the show. And you can also uh, interact with us in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, where we have our own channel, The Good, The Bad, and the Hungry. There, at times, is some really good discussion there, including how you can send questions the next time we hopefully have Dave Meltzer on the podcast. If you missed that, it was a few weeks back. Scroll back, and you'll be able to find it. From Fred and Tyler, enjoy your weekend. Take care, everyone. Uh, uh, uh. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show.